Hello everyone, Happy New Year and welcome back to Dragon Bites. I'm Asim, one of the presenters for Dragon Bites and one of the trainees here in Wales. It's a new year and I guess it's time to get started with revision again. Luckily, this year we kick off with one of our favourites, Dr Raj Krishnan, one of the renal consultants at the University Hospital of Wales. He's going to have a chat today with Stacey Harris, one of the other presenters for Dragon Bites, all about renal osteodystrophy. Anyway, let's get started. So hi, uh, Dr. Krishnan. Uh, so my name's Dr. Stacey Harris and I'm a paediatric trainee and I'd really like to thank you very much for um, joining us uh, again for one of our podcasts for Dragon Bites. Uh, I've heard that you have been uh, hogging the limelight this week and it's your third presentation and you still have uh, many more to come. So thank you very much for um, taking the time. So um, I, I, I wanted to talk about renal osteodystrophy today. Um, so Dr. Krishnan, um, what is uh, renal osteodystrophy and why do you want to talk about it? Uh, thank you, Stacey and Asim for giving me the opportunity. I have to say, you know, the fact is uh, I, I would like to always think that I'm tech savvy and I'm data savvy, but I should say when it comes to the tech savviness, um, uh, the, the podcast has actually learned to taught me a few things. So uh, hopefully uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still on the learning curve with regards to that. Now, I have to say uh, why renal osteodystrophy and I, I'll actually come into you know, what renal osteodystrophy is a bit later. Now, uh, many moons back, um, I also went through my membership exams. And uh, there was these, I, I'm for sure, I mean, I'm still looking these up and there are these charts which shows the PTH arrow goes up, the calcium goes down, the phosphate goes up, uh, and then they'll actually put the vitamin D in the whole of the model and it'll actually get absolutely messed up. Now, I have to say, before I took up nephrology and before I passed, passed my membership, I, this was absolutely uh, a muddy thing in my head. I, I, I didn't know. And I will actually mug it up for the exam, go for the exam, and I'll come out, step out, and I've forgotten it all. Or even worse, I would have gone for my exam and I would have messed it up completely. That's so it's actually a personal experience which actually made me think, oh, there is actually a better way of learning renal osteodystrophy. Uh, and I have to say, and what I, if I can actually help people to achieve that the fact that we don't need those charts where the arrows go up, where the arrows go down, it'll be brilliant. And I have to say, uh, if, you're, if you're actually going to come in to come to work with me, in the nephrology unit at UHW. That's something that I will actually do. Just make it very pure and simple. I'll take half a sheet of an A4 paper, size paper, and I'll actually explain it to you. So renal osteodystrophy, and what I am going to do is, uh, I, I, I will talk about a few of these, uh, what it actually means, and please feel free to stop me at any time. And then uh, and then we'll actually go through what it means, how can actually we can draw it about. Now, I have to say I appreciate this is a podcast, uh, and uh, and there are limitations with regards to how much I can actually show and uh, uh, I, I, how how much I can actually move my hands and show my PowerPoint skills here. But what I would like to do as as a part of this process, as while we are starting this process, is to take a sheet of paper and write down calcium times phosphate is equal to K. K the const uh, constant. So the fact that your calcium times your phosphate product in your body is a constant. So whatever happens, so if you actually have your calcium goes up, your phosphate has to go down. If your phosphate goes up, your calcium has to go down. So 
I have to say, you know, this is, I mean, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I, you know, there are, there's loads of things that's actually happening in the world of uh, mineral bone metabolism. I'm not going to talk about any of the high-fi stuff. I'm just going to put it to pure simple terms. So if you got calcium times phosphate equals K, you see a first step. Now, when you have your your kidney, the kidney, the the good thing about your body is it likes a phosphate, but it actually dumps the phosphate. That's what it, so you'll actually have quite a lot of dumping of the of the phosphate going down in the urine. So, but then what a kidney loves is also it loves the cal calcium. So it actually like to reabsorb the calcium quite bad too. So it absorbs some of the phosphate, but quite of the majority of the phosphate is quite a bit of it is actually being in a in a feed out too. So the kidney also has got another role. And this is quite important, and sometimes people tend to forget it. Um, so, you know, the 125 hydroxylation of vitamin D happens in the kidney too. So, remember three things calcium being reabsorbed, phosphate being chucked out of the kidney, and the vitamin D conversion. Now, just imagine your kidney is failed. So, your kidney is actually failed. So, just if I was trying to draw a picture of the kidney, draw the picture of the kidney, just put a cross across it. So, what will actually happen? Your kidney can't dump your phosphate. The calcium uh, will actually be not be reabsorbed, so your calcium goes down. So your calcium is down, your phosphate is significantly high, and of course that vitamin D conversion is definitely not actually happening either. So when your calcium is down, what actually happens is the body says, "Hang on, I don't like this. I can't see this going further." So it'll actually say it'll tell your parathyroid, the parathyroid gland, which is actually sitting behind your thyroid gland, saying. Hang on, I'm, I need a bit more calcium in here. So the parathormone will swing into action and basically resorb the calcium from your bone to try to make sure that the calcium is actually being normalized here. So what you'll actually have is someone with a chronic kidney disease. You will actually have a low calcium. You will have a high phosphate, but you'll have a very high PTH. And that PTH is basically, so the PTH relationship between calcium and PTH is more or less like your TSH under thyroxine. So you give too much thyroxine, your TSH is suppressed. You don't have thyroxine, your TSH is high. So that sort of a relationship, that sort of an inverse relationship is what calcium and, and the PTH does have. So that low calcium, it could be quite low, a high phosphate and a very high PTH is renal acid dystrophy or secondary hyperparathyroidism. And I should say, um, that is the most simplest way of spelling it out. And I wanted to do is I will talk about this first before I go on to the next phenomenon. So what, if you actually come and see a patient who's got renal failure, what will, what will you find the renal physicians do? They'll put them on calcium carbonate, They'll put them on alpha calcidol and they will put them on vitamin D supplements. So they will put them on calcium carbonate. Why they put them on calcium carbonate? And they will actually give specific instructions saying, take your calcium carbonate when you're having your food. So what it actually says is cut down. And when you're actually having the food, that calcium carbonate will combine with the dietary phosphate and you'll just pull it out. The calcium you're giving is alpha calcidol. That will actually help to elevate your total calcium in your body. And the vitamin D, of course, the vitamin D supplementation is not actually happening. And that will help to suppress 
the 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 uh, the PTH down because you don't want that high PTH. You will always hear in the good old book saying that patients with chronic kidney disease will actually have are more likely to be having fractures because the bone has been thin, bone has been resorbed. So this is what secondary osteodystrophy is. So the fact is you have a kidney failed, high phosphate, low calcium, and a very high PTH. Is that does that make it clear, Stacey? Yeah, that does. I am frantically writing notes. <laughs> so, so that is what secondary osteodystrophy is. And whenever you are actually trying to learn about the secondary renal, uh, secondary hyperparathyroidism or renal osteodystrophy, always, always start off as secondary hyperparathyroidism, renal osteodystrophy. The graph will say primary, secondary, tertiary. Please don't start off with secondary, and then once you have outline secondary very clearly you know why, why secondary is so if you have a patient who came in with chronic kidney disease and you find a significantly raised this this sort of a phenomenon where you have this very raised pth low calcium raised phosphate phosphate you think oh yeah this is chronic kidney disease this has been going on for the last few weeks at the same time if you have someone with acute kidney injury you may not find it because it actually takes a couple of weeks two to three weeks for at least this to actually settle in so it's always bearing in mind so that sometimes this is what the nephrologist will do is go and get your pth done and they they are trying to find out they're trying to find suss out is this primary is this is this an acute one is there a chronic one so we got secondary hyper para thyroidism sorted or renal osteodystrophy sorted so that's very clear you know where the arrows are now going and you know the reason why these arrows are actually going up and down so if i was actually going to move this a bit more further down the line let's talk about tertiary hyperparathyroidism so the fact is you need to have secondary to have tertiary hyperparathyroidism and when you talk about tertiary hyperparathyroidism uh, what you will actually find is the patient who has been having chronic kidney disease for a long time who is not taking their calcium carbonate because trust me it's 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 vile that's that medication is actually one of the most difficult it's it's literally chalk you're actually trying to have with your food so it's not a surprise that patients are actually non-compliant with that so you have chronic kidney disease for a long period you have secondary hyperparathyroidism running for a long period. What actually happens is you somehow control your phosphate. So your phosphate is more or less you know, normal, maybe a slight in the higher side. Calcium just about within the normal range, but your PTH is still high. Your PTH cannot be explained by that relationship you had, that inverse relationship you had between the calcium and the PTH is completely gone because the parathormone has been secreting on an industrial basis for the last few weeks and now it's become a bit autonomous it starts pro producing everything on its own so it'll actually do so even if you try to control the calcium the pth is still high so you're going to have that bone resorption so if you take an x-ray of these patients what you will actually find is they have the resorption of the bones you'll actually have the thin phalanges you'll actually have the end of the bones actually being completely gone and you will find quite good going rickettery changes there so what do you do then so this is when traditionally people will say oh well let's actually take the parathyroid gland out so you would actually do pyrothyroidectomy for these patients even you actually can't control it these days it's actually it's not very often that we tend to do that because there are other medications like calcium mimetics which we which which we have 
help to mimic the calcium but doesn't give you the high calcium which will help to suppress the cal uh, the, the pth down so when you are talking about tertiary hyperparathyroidism it's actually the fact that you have a very very raised uh, or a very raised pth a calcium which is bluish normal a phosphate which is also you know kind of be on the higher side but it shows a degree of uh, non-compliance but that 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 PTH gives it actually away. So that's tertiary hyperparathyroidism. And you cannot diagnose tertiary hyperparathyroidism unless you have the secondary hyperparathyroidism there. So, so we've covered two things in the last 10 minutes. One is secondary hyperparathyroidism and, this, uh, and, and, and tertiary hyperparathyroidism. Is that, uh, it, does that, does that sound okay to you, Stacey? That's great. Um, so just to go, just to recap, so I got it clear in my head. So um, yep. in um, secondary hyperparathyroidism, um, you get yep. a low calcium yep. um, and a high phosphate yep. um, and a high PTH. PTH. So that the low calcium is stimulating that PTH for yep. you. Okay, and the reason why you have um, a high phosphate is because the damaged kidneys aren't able to excrete it. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. The fact is, you are actually have got you know you you take a pint of milk, you've got enough and more phosphate in there. So the fact is, the medication that you use for the secondary hyperparathyroidism is actually a phosphate binder, oh, aka calcium carbonate. So the fact is, um, there are uh, so people will actually tend to do it. You, you know, the renal physicians, again, are extremely careful not to raise your calcium. So you, even if you're, the, the primary importance, people will also say, get the phosphate down, get the phosphate down and raise your phosphate and uh, raise your calcium. Because if you raise your calcium and your phosphate at the same time, your product is going to be very high. So if you iatrogenically do it, what you will find is calciphylaxis. You will actually find calcium deposits in your stool, in your skin, in your sclera, and worse and foremost, in your blood vessels. So the fact is the, the arteries will not become compliant. They will become most, much more stiffer. And, you know, this child if we have, who has got chronic kidney disease, you're just cutting their life by a few good number, few number of years. So it's actually very important that you get the phosphate, the phosphate under control, you get the calcium up for the same reason. And that will actually help. And so that calcium especially will help to control that PTH down further down. Now, the, the, the tertiary hyperparathyroidism, you can actually do your whatever calcium and phosphate you do, it's not going to it's not going to be controlled because it's actually become a bit more autonomous here because you've been actually been secreting in mega in mega amounts for some time. Uh, and that's why you face mm. it. And so in tertiary um, hyperparathyroidism, um, uh, you say so you get a really high uh, PTH, but then your your phosphate is um normal rather than high is that right yeah i mean i should say it all depends upon how well you've been controlled your phosphate on that particular occasion on the last few weeks okay. but what you are going to find is you you cannot explain uh the 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 pth and it's actually you basically think this is this doesn't actually add up this amount of pth rise so, so then you think oh gosh okay this has been going on for mm -hmm. some time there's a degree and this is something that you'll actually find in patients who are, are actually on dialysis for for a, for a year or two uh, who's definitely may not been been, been non-compliant with their medications mm. 
Um, so you mentioned that you give them um, cal uh, phosphate binders, um, calcium, um, calcium carbonate. Um, do you do you give them any other treatment at all? No, there are different forms of um, phosphate binders, and I should say the tendency these days is to use a non-calcium-based phosphate binder because you want to you don't want to raise the calcium too high either. Uh, there are there are benefits for that too. But again, the first line will be to start off with a calcium carbonate or a calcium acetate. So the fact that you will actually take it along with your diet, and that's the most difficult bit, bit these patients actually face because they then, so you'll say, oh, you're going to have an extra piece of cheese or you're actually having more snacks, then make sure that you take that extra calcium carbonate with you or the acetate with you so that it actually gets food food out so that the fact is it's not being so the calcium and the phosphate will make uh, will form a uh, will form a complex which is difficult for the gut to reabsorb the uh, uh the phosphate element of it and so you you can control your phosphate much better mm. okay um so you're basically trying to um dump phosphate rather than doing it with the kidneys but yep. doing it with the bowel instead absolutely yeah absolutely i should say the yeah and i should say the fact is even for even then you could always ask the question what's then dialysis actually doing the dialysis will help to control the phosphate but there is actually limitations so how much how far the diet uh, the 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 um the uh, the dialysis actually can do that so the fact is you know this is why you'll actually find the dietitians will come in and basically say uh, we need to actually have you know control the amount of protein that you're actually having and also to look into the amount of phosphate we are actually intaking at the moment. So it it is it it, it I mean I should say if you're actually looking for a single magic bullet to fix it, it's it, there is none. Uh, it's actually a combination of different therapies that you actually need to do that. Okay, so yeah, so a dietitian would um look at what they're actually eating and try and rather than just getting rid eating whatever you wanted to and um getting rid of it with medications to try and actually reduce the amount that you're taking in at the same time. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, and so what about um, vitamin D then? So because isn't it yeah, that the so, kidneys can't um, activate the vitamin D? Yeah. I mean, I should say the, the role of um, the, the metabolic bone disease uh, spectrum is actually is really mushroomed out. And I don't think so as a trainee or, or who, you know, who are actually going for exams, you really need to know that. But, you know, as, as in the time to come by, you're going to hear about phosphatonins, fibro, fibro, fibroblast growth factor 23, FGF 23s, and other stuff actually going to come really in there. Um, so the fact is, uh, the, the uh, what you're actually going to find is as, as time goes by, there are more and more factors do going to come in. But when it comes to vitamin D, you need to replace it. And now, again, if you ask us, the nephrologist will basically say, I want to have a level of more than 75. Uh, I know the recommendations can actually change, but most of the time we'll actually accept a vitamin D level of more than 50 nanograms per liter. But we would say, well, if you've got chronic kidney disease, and that actually varies according to your degree of chronic kidney disease. But on the whole, if you have someone who's dialysis dependent, we'll say anything more than 75. So this will also help to control your your pth and also help with your uh, your calcium uh, too so the, the, these are the things that you really need to uh, look into when you're actually doing this um and do you give them um, an activated form of vitamin d then because the because the kidneys can't actually activate it 
Absolutely. I mean, I should say the the more or less the alpha alpha cancel is actually ha, has got a degree of that and also will help to increase your uh, ionized calcium much more significantly. So if you're actually in an neonatal unit stuck with hypocalcemia, alpha calcidol is actually a, a, a brilliant way of bringing the calcium up. Okay. And so um, how do you monitor this? Do you, do you have to just do bloods regularly and try and... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, uh, and I think the fact is um, uh, the only uh, the only way uh, we don't do it with X-rays. Uh, we don't do it at all with X-rays. And I have to say, I've, I've, should, you know, if you do, if you have a chronic kidney disease patient and having some X-ray changes, it's not a surprise. Uh, but what we will like to do is we like to monitor with the PTH. Now, when you come to the PTH side of things, the normal PTH, they'll say it's around six to seven. We will actually aim for a PTH, which is two to three times normal. And so, so what we are trying to do is not to maintain a normal PTH. We are actually trying to aim for a PTH, which is two to three times normal. So even when I'm saying I'm talking about a high PTH, so I'm talking about a PTH which is 50 or 60 or 70. So when I say two to three times, so if I get a, 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 a PTH in the teens, in the 20s, I'm, ha I'm happily accepting it. And the reason by that is when you have chronic kidney disease, you have inactive forms of PTH. And if you actually measure that and you're going to act, act on that, what you'll actually do is you will actually suppress your PTH too low. And that's bad too, because you can give rise to aerodynamic bone disease, which, which can actually give rise to fractures. So you don't want the PTH too high, you don't want the PTH too low. You want it actually two to three times the normal. So that's what we will be aiming for the PTH levels to come back to. So if you've got someone with chronic kidney disease, uh, if you, you, know, you, you will need to maintain it around that level rather than to maintain it tightly within the lower side. So the fact is, if, you have, if I have a patient who's, who's got a PTH as to uh, very well controlled, i.e. within the normal limits of, of lab values, I'll be saying, no, it's actually over-controlled, over-suppressed. Uh, we need to relax a bit more further, and we need to get that PTH further up. Uh, so that's quite important that we actually remember that. Yeah, that is an interesting point, isn't it? Because, um, yeah, you probably wouldn't really think about that if you weren't used to seeing patients with chronic kidney disease. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So um, is there anything that can cure um, this uh, renal dystrophy? No, I, I mean, I should say, apart from these medications, the only way forward is to have a transplant. And once you have a transplant, then you basically know where you are, uh, what, is, what is actually adding up. Uh, and then, then you'll actually find everything go, goes the other way around. And in fact, you'll actually find a low phosphate in most of these patients because of the medication they are actually on. And there's a bit of phosphate dumping that's actually going on too. So then you're actually trying to catch up with the phosphate in these patients. But you know, the real answer to that is to, to do you uh, to have a transplant and you will actually see the biochemistry getting better. Um, most of the time, the PTOH will actually come back, but if you have a degree of tertiary hyperparathyroidism, that may continue, and that needs to be monitored, and even if it is post-transplant, right, because uh, that uh, that's the only way you can actually get on top of it uh, altogether. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So, if they, so it does, you still sometimes do get problems with them uh, yeah, even yeah. afterwards, but a lot of the time it does improve somewhat. And yep. does the bone changes um, improve or do you 
Oh yes, yeah, yeah. No, the bone changes absolutely will actually improve, and you know the fact is, you know, in a year later you wouldn't be able to find any of these changes, and you'll actually find no cuppings playing or fraying. You'll actually find it everything. They are just looking absolutely intact without any moth-eaten appearance, so of the of the long end of the bone. So that's actually quite quite interesting. Wow, that yeah. isn't that really is interesting and amazing, isn't it? Hmm. So the one thing that I haven't covered, one thing that I haven't covered is actually primary hyperparathyroidism so the fact is and and i should say uh, it's for for i i deliberately left it out uh, for the very last because uh, to me it's got nothing to do with the kidneys <laughs> primary hyperparathyroidism is you have an adenoma let's say on a parathyroid gland so what happens is you know you let's say you have a malignancy you have something that's actually stimulated the parathyroid gland and the parathyroid gland starts secreting pth so then what actually happens is that you have high pth and then that will actually go and pull the bone uh, pull pull the calcium out of the bones and you actually have a highish calcium too and you could have a, a phosphate which is slightly normal or, or low, low normal uh, and that's what you will find so if you find someone with a raised calcium the thing to do is to see what's your pth actually doing so if your PTH is also raised, then you're basically saying, mm, okay, this is possibly coming from the, the from coming from the parathyroid gland. But then, you know, I will actually just, you know, ask people to just go back a few years back. If we were doing adult medicine, if I found a patient with raised calcium, you will think malignancy there. And then that'll be useful to say, so what is your PTH actually then doing? And if your PTH is then suppressed, then it'll say, this is nothing to do with my with my parathyroid gland. This is actually some other tumor mass which is actually secreting the calcium there. So the fact is, the when you talk about primary hyperparathyroidism, what you are actually going to find out is the the starting process is actually with the parathyroid gland. You find a raised PTH, you find a really raised calcium, and you find a phosphate which is on the lower side or could be on the lower lower normal side, and that will actually give you the picture. So the fact is, when I Look at a calcium. I don't, you know, whatever way I want to interpret it, I will actually be interpreting in a few ways. And my few ways is basically to see what's happening with my PTH, what's happening with my phosphate too. So that is what this primary hyperparathyroidism is. And what is the impact on the kidneys? You know, of course, it is. It actually gives rise to kidney stones. So I don't, I don't, I don't know whether you remember the good old days when we were all house officers uh, when we did our OHCM. Uh, we all, all talk about uh, groans, bones, and psychic bones. So groans, bones, and psychic bones, and that's what that's what a hypercalcemia will actually give rise to. So it's important that you actually have a connection between your PTH and your phosphate too, when you actually really see, especially when you see a higher calcium. Uh, and that's that's hyper that's primary hyperparathyroidism in 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 in, in a few words. Yeah, amazing. Uh, this that was lovely to have um, a bit of a refresher. Um, and um, yeah. 20, around 25 minutes of uh, uh, yeah. hyperparathyroidism. That's amazing. It's, it's really great. Um, I'm sure that lots of people will really appreciate. Um, the the, the only, only, only thing that I, I should say, all of all of what I have actually spoken is, is actually condensed my experience over the last 20 years in nephrology. Uh, and I should say the fact is this is what I find is useful so that, you know, you call me up in two in the morning, I can still be able to answer it rather than thinking well, whether the arrow goes up and down. Uh, so, so the one thing that I'll actually tell people is if you do see a low calcium, 
to check your magnesium. And you'll always find that, you know, calcium is related to your magnesium. And the reason is the fact that if your magnesium, if your magnesium is below 0.45, what actually happens is it suppresses your PTH again. And that's why you get your hypo, you get a calcium, so a lower calcium. So when you see a lower calcium, I know this is a bit beyond the point, but I'm just playing with the calcium phenomenon side and just bringing the relationship with regards to magnesium. Just check what is your magnesium. Magnesium is on the lower side. That indirectly is telling you your PTH is actually suppressed. And that will actually be another way to actually then you'll say, okay, I need to give them person calcium and also need to think in terms of a magnesium correction too. Mm -hmm. There you go. I'll stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think this is really great to be able to just have a really quick um, podcast that you can listen to this and refresh yourself, um, you know, on a car journey or something like that. Um, so I really appreciate you joining us again, um, Dr. Krishnan. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you. Bye-bye. And I just wanted to say thank you to Raj and Stacy for recording that for us. I learned a lot about how PTH, calcium and phosphate all interact with each other. If you've got exams coming up, please head to our website where we've got lots of previous episodes about different medical conditions recorded. We've got more coming for you next week. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites. Thank you.